Heart takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. NFL training camps open up this week, and one of the most attention-grabbing storylines is Tim Tebow attempting to return to the NFL and make the roster of the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team which is now coached by his college coach at the University of Florida, Urban Meyer, But the catch is that he's not trying to come back as a quarterback, but rather a tight end after years away playing minor league baseball. With that in mind, it felt like a perfect time to do the one thing that seems totally preposterous to most knowledgeable football fans, defend Tim Tebow's run as an NFL quarterback for the Denver Broncos. So with divine light protecting me from any errant throws, I shall attempt to actually defend football Jesus. This week, everyone is wrong, but I am not. Playing defense, or perhaps assisting me on my points, is Spike Friedman, the 12th man of the Legion of Boom, and someone who has written words about football at places like The Stranger and Grantland and other things. So I wanted to get somebody who had some decent football background to talk about it, but also was not a Denver Broncos homer because I could just talk to them, and we'd just be like, that was fun, huh? So, Spike, thanks for coming on again. It is an honor and a privilege to speak of the chosen one. <laughs> and in, in doing my own research, I know for those of you who are bracing for this, Seth has done more research than anyone has ever done for any podcast ever, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I have I have my script here. It says it is... 3,897 words of notes about Tim Tebow. So Yeah, this is a doctoral thesis. Um, But I will say in doing doing my own research, there were a couple points where where I found that Tebow was a little worse than I remembered. There are a couple legitimate justifications for what happened in Denver that I think suggest that uh, I'm going to end up agreeing with you on. But we're going to go on this journey. We will see. We will see. There's there's things. (laughs) Tebow is a polarizing figure for many reasons, and we will touch on that. So let's get into the background of Tim Tebow's tenure as Denver Broncos quarterback. Tim Tebow is an American professional athlete currently trying to make the NFL as a tight end after being out of the league since the 2012-2013 season. That's right. It's been almost a decade, and now he's going to try and play tackle football again, which is a feat. Tim Tebow used to be a quarterback. He was a college sensation playing QB at the University of Florida from 2006 to 2009. He was the backup QB his freshman year, but played a lot behind Chris Leak. He was second on the team in rushing as a backup quarterback, scored a rushing touchdown on his very first collegiate play, and in the national title game victory by the Gators, he scored a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown. His sophomore year, he became Florida's starter, passing for 32 touchdowns and rushing for 23 more on the way to becoming the first sophomore to win college football's top individual award, the Heisman Trophy. Florida won another national title Tebow's junior year, but the star QB came back for his senior year after that in part because he still wasn't an NFL lock despite his winning ways due to his inconsistent passing and odd throwing mechanics. One way to kind of illustrate this is the signature Tebow play. I think if somebody's running, said, oh, they're running the Tebow play, 
it would be the quarterback getting the ball near the goal line and throwing a jump pass after faking that he was going to run. That's Tim Tebow. Like, he found a way to get it done, but you're like, that is not John Elway, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. That is not what a quarterback is supposed to look like. Despite that, he was unexpectedly picked in the first round of the 2010 NFL Draft, selected 25th overall by the Denver Broncos. His rookie year, Tim Tebow was behind Kyle Orton on the Broncos' QB depth chart, but got some run after the Broncos were out of contention. He appeared in nine games, starting just three, but was an underwhelming one and two in those games with a 50% completion rate, which is well below the modern NFL average. And I think, uh, just to interject quickly, I think completion percentage is going to be working against you throughout this story. This is... If you are, I am not going to defend Tim Tebow's completion percentages. I will get that right out of the bat. <laughs> Tim Tebow was once again behind Orton to start the 2011 season, but worse for him, he was no longer under the watch of the people that brought him in as the coach and GM from the prior year were both booted. The coach who drafted him was Josh McDaniels and the GM was Brian Zanders who were replaced by John Fox as coach and Broncos QB legend John Elway as the general manager. To put it kind of mildly, they were not Tim Tebow fans, so things looked kind of bleak for his NFL prospects. But after Orton continued his run of mediocre play and the team fell to 1-4 and four to start the season, the Broncos management essentially threw Tebow to the Wolves like, I guess we'll have to start him so that we can get rid of him eventually. But what happened next really made no sense. Under Tim Tebow, the Broncos won seven of their next eight games, including a six-game win streak. Even crazier, Tebow was terrible in those games until the very end of a lot of them in the fourth quarter where he would miraculously bring the team back with a lot of help from the Broncos' defense and their kicker, but five of the six wins featured fourth quarter comeback slash game winning drives, including a stretch of four straight weeks of comeback game winning drives. Tebow mania became a media sensation. Tim Tebow played up his extreme Christian devotion to the point where his celebration where he would take a knee in prayer became known as Tebowing. He became a hot topic for sports shows like First Take and PTI. And while some people like Skip Bayless were basically, look, all he does is win. Like, we just have to keep going. It. A bunch of people were like, he's bad at football. Like, we can objectively see he can't throw the ball well. And he completes no passes for three quarters. And this is driving me crazy because he's not good, but he keeps winning. And winning is what matters, but I'm seeing something different. So, I mean, to contextualize how big Tebow mania was, it is now 2021, and we're still talking about Tim Tebow in the NFL because that's how buzzy of a topic he was. Almost a decade later, it's still like, well, you know, he's a good talking heads topic. The Broncos faded hard down the stretch after that uh, run of comeback wins, losing their final three games of the regular season, including a brutal 7-3 loss to close out the season. Tebow finished the regular season with a putrid 46.5% completion rate, 
just over 1,700 yards passing, 12 passing touchdowns against six interceptions. He did rush for an impressive 660 yards and six touchdowns, but also had 14, 14 fumbles. Whoa. 14 fumbles all lost? I think actually, I think it might just be 14 fumbles, but he lost a decent amount of those. Regardless, not great. But also, he was kind of their running back. But also, if a running back fumbled 14 times, he would never see the field again. Somehow, the AFC West was so bad in 2011 that 8-8 eight and eight won the division. So the Broncos limped into the wild card game to host the 12-4 and four Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers were 7.5-point favorites in that game. But Tebow Magic peaked on that day as the Broncos improbably won on a touchdown pass on the first play of overtime. We will dive into that. More a little bit later. And the Broncos would go on to get crushed the next week by the New England Patriots, 45-10. to 10, But Tebow Mania had still thrived. But instead of this kind of being the building spot, building on this improbable wave to become a NFL quarterback, or at least like a journeyman NFL quarterback, this was essentially the end of Tim Tebow's career. As stated, Elway and Fox were not big fans of having a QB who struggled with the forward pass. So Peyton Manning became available in the 2012 offseason. The Broncos jumped on the chance to get the Hall of Famer and shipped Tebow off to the Jets, where he wasn't basically given any opportunity to play, despite Mark Sanchez not being very good. He only attempted eight passes that next season and then was cut the following year, or the following offseason. He tried to make the Patriots in 2013 and the Eagles in 2015, but never stuck with the team. Starting in 2016, Tebow began playing minor league baseball in the New York Mets organization, eventually making it to AAA before retiring in February of 2021 because it was pretty clear he wasn't going to be a big leaguer. It's not hard to see why Tebow was largely disliked. He was brutal to watch throw. He had a worse completion percentage in his career than Ryan Leaf. He came off as preachy often. He was covered incessantly, sometimes in reverential tones that did not match the majority of his production on the field. Even now, he can seem like a product of the white Christian connected privilege, as again, he's getting an opportunity to play 10 years after in a position that he's never played, basically because his old boss is giving him a chance. He just wants his golden boy around. That said, I believe everyone is wrong about Denver Broncos QB, Tim Tebow. And here's why. My first point of defense is just the word magic in all caps. Oh, no. And that is because that became the shorthand for me and my Denver Broncos friends who were also fans during the run of stupid, improbable comebacks. To put it simply, like, Tim Tebow comebacks were pretty much about as much fun as you can have being (laughs) a sports fan in, like, a kind of twisted and perverted way. I was a Broncos fan living in Seattle at the time, so I had to go to the bar to watch all the games because, again, the Broncos started bad, so they weren't these games weren't on national TV, despite him being the hot topic a lot. And... Every time Tebow magic would start happening, we just text each other magic in all caps because we were aware of how absurd it was. And it just kind of became the shorthand 
for me and my pal Tyler just texting back and forth and just adding more A's as each game went along. And part of that, I need to underscore how brutal these games were to watch. A lot of the Tebow comeback games. It was like a self-flagellation trying to get that eventual glory of divine insight or the marshmallow test if you want to be a little less dramatic. Just you had to wait through all this awfulness to finally get the glory. So a quick rundown of the scores in the games that Tebow started. He scored, the Broncos scored 18, 10, 38, 17, 17, 16, 35, 13, 23, 14, 3. So they got to 20 points three times in the 11 regular season games he started, including not getting to 20 points in the three overtime wins. But I feel like, and Spike, feel free to jump in at any point, but I need to contextualize some of these, how crazy some of these comebacks were. So in, in Tebow's first game, he started against the Miami Dolphins. They were down 15 to nothing with five minutes and 23 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And at the time, Tebow was four of 14 passing for 40 yards and zero of 10 on third down conversions. And then in the final five minutes, he led drives of 80 yards and 56 yards, both ending with touchdown passes with a successful onside kick in between them and him running in for a two-point conversion. And then in the overtime, the Broncos' defense forced a fumble, allowing for Matt Prater to kick a game-winning field goal. Matt Prater is the secret hero of Tim Tebow magic because everything is just like, we'll get it in position, and Matt Prater will make all the field goals. So that was improbable, but it was also kind of silly, and it was like, well, that won't happen again especially because the next week the Broncos got absolutely thumped by the Lions, 45-10. to 10. Tebow sacked seven times, two turnovers. It seemed like, yeah, it seems like he's maybe not the good quarterback that everybody kind of thinks is not very good. Broncos won the next two weeks against division rivals, 38-24 to 24 over the Raiders, despite Tebow throwing for 124 yards, and then 17-10 to 10 over the Chiefs, despite... Tebow passing for only 69 yards. Not a lot of yards. Not a lot, a lot, of, yards. A lot of yards. It's a nice amount of yards. Yeah, but, it's nice. But uh, not not exactly what you're looking for. And then the improbable Tebow magic run really started with four straight comeback wins. Against the Jets, the Broncos were trailing 13-10. to 10. They'd punted on their prior eight possessions. Ugh. <laughs> And they got the ball on their own five-yard line with under six minutes left. Tebow drove them 95 yards, including a 20-yard touchdown run. He only passed for 104 yards in that game. And in the 95-yard game-winning drive, he only passed for 35 of the 95 yards. So he was just... He was essentially the Broncos' like second running back a lot of the time. And then he'd somehow complete passes on whatever the last or second to last drive would be. And that kind of became the pattern as things went along. The following game, they're down again with five minutes left against San Diego. But Tebow led a 68-yard drive to set up a Prater field goal to send the game into overtime. And then 
the Chargers kicker missed a game-winning field goal in overtime with two minutes and 36 seconds left, allowing for Tebow to quote-unquote lead a 38-yard drive where he completed zero passes to set up another Prater game-winning field goal. Two notes there. One, uh, classic Chargers. Classic just, Chargers. That was just peak, vintage stuff. Peak Philip Rivers Chargers era, missing field goals. I mean, I think it was like a 50-something yarder, so it wasn't like a 30-yarder, a but it was still like, seemed like, oh, wait, is Tebow just the divine light shining on him? But then you're like, no, it can't be that. Because it's the Chargers and they just miss all these field goals. Yeah, and you can picture Philip Rivers just screaming, crap, dang it, uh, <laughs> which rules. I would also add Matt Prater, kicker for the Denver Broncos that year. Do you know who the other kicker they brought in the training camp that year was? The other kicker? Oh, I'm trying to... I Why don't... would I bring it up if it weren't Stephen Hauschka? Oh, Future hello. Seahawks legend. Seahawks legend, yes. So not only did you guys, you guys managed to get the better kicker at the time. Prater ends up having some uh, off the field issues, if I remember correctly. Didn't yeah, he? I think Am so. I making... Yeah, he did something bad. I don't know, we don't need to look that up. This is a Tebow podcast. This is not a Matt Prater raining on the parade podcast. But, uh, yeah, and then he eventually left and went to... I mean, kicking for the Broncos is a great job because you get the altitude and, like, you just get to be good for a long time if you can just kick it kind of in the middle. The Broncos have had a pretty good run of quarterbacks because of that. Kickers. Pretty good. Yeah, kickers. So he had been... Wow, yeah, he had a, he had a long run in Denver. Really long run. Yeah. See, he's going to retire his number. Uh, well, no. probably not because of the substance abuse policy violation. Yeah, that that was, that he, was what. Ah, he, uh, he was roiding. Okay, yeah. that's fair. But uh, no, because we had Jason Elam before him, and then we had uh, we now have uh, Brandon McManus, who also was just like terrible. Like he came to the Broncos and was terrible, and then it was just like I hate this. This guy can't make anything, and then he suddenly like flipped the switch, which almost never happens. I think they cut him and then he came back and it's just like, oh, now I'm like really good. It's weird. Denver kickers is a weird thing. It's a lot more stable than the Denver quarterback position. Getting us back to after those two straight comeback wins, the third comeback win actually featured points. Tebow had his best passing game to date, going 10 of 15 for 202 yards and two touchdowns. But still, the Broncos trailed the Vikings 32-28 after the Vikings made a field goal with 3.10 left. But Tebow engineered a 52-yard drive to set up a Prater field goal to tie the game. The Vikings threw an interception on the first play that they got the ball back, which, again, the Broncos' defense just continually helped out this Tebow magic where it was... And the other teams continually helped out by turning the ball over in just horrible situations. Was that a Christian Ponder era Minnesota? I believe it was Christian Ponder. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, so again, classic Vikings. Yeah, it was Christian Ponder. Wow. Good. I'm glad that that's in my brain. Glad that I didn't have to hesitate. <laughs> glad that you saved that memory. Week 15 Vikings quarterback. was. So yeah, uh, Ponder threw that interception and then Tim Tebow, just handed off the ball and, you know, ran. He had one rush for a loss of two yards 
and Prater came in and got the game-winning field goal as the tie expired. So it wasn't even a drive for the final one. It was just the drive to set up the tie, and then he just got to sit on the ball, and Matt Prater got to kick it in. So that kind of goes to the Tebow magic and aura seem to sort of like rub off on all the Broncos after a while where it's just like, Oh, the whole whole team is making stupid plays at the end of the game where it's just like the kicker can't miss. The defense always comes up with a turnover and big play. And that led to the most improbable of the regular season ones, which was the game against the bears. The Broncos did not score on the first dozen possessions of the bears game. Trailing 10 to nothing with 2 8 to play. This was just the ultimate Tebow torture watch. He had 11 straight incompletions heading into the fourth quarter. <laughs> and then he finally threw a touchdown with 208 left, but still the Broncos were down 10 to 7, had to get an onside kick because they didn't have any timeouts, but they didn't get an onside kick. So essentially the Bears could run out the clock. And for some reason, Bears running back Marion Barber ran to the sidelines on second down and was pushed out of bounds. So the Broncos got to stop the clock and the Bears had to punt. Tebow got it back. He completed his first three passes of the drive to get into, you guessed it, Matt Prater field goal range. And he came through to force overtime. And then in overtime, the Bears had the ball in Broncos territory again like on the 30 or something, and they were set up to get a field goal, could have won the game, and Barber fumbled. You guessed it, Tebow gets the ball back, drives, Prater field goal. It just, the the Bears one just seemed like, okay, what's happening now? Because literally the team had to shoot itself in the foot like three times. Well, that's six straight wins. That's six straight wins at that point. Yeah, six straight wins. Four straight comebacks. Yeah, yeah. And seven of eight. It was just absolutely crazy. Tebow magic was at an all-time high. And then the wheels came off in the final three games. Tom Brady thumped them 41-23. The Bills demolished them. Tebow threw three picks and lost a fumble in that game. And then the Broncos couldn't beat, of all people, Kyle Orton, Chiefs quarterback in the final game. Neckbeard came back to strike us again. And Tebow was 6 of 22 for 60 yards with an interception and a fumble in that game, getting three points. And again, Matt Prater was just like nearly automatic this year. So it's like you had to get the ball to like the 50-yard line. And they like could could not muster that up. So it seemed all the magic was gone. And then they got the wild card game despite it. But Denver actually came out strong. They were leading 23-13 with 10 minutes left in the Steelers game. But this time the D let them down and they couldn't hang on. And the Steelers forced overtime, which led to one of the most holy shit plays that I've experienced as a sports fan, which is the first play of overtime. Tebow hit Demarius Thomas on a post across the middle for an 80-yard touchdown. And that's the game, one and done. The Steelers were clearly not expecting the Broncos to throw because they had Tim Tebow, I guess. And Demarius Thomas just... Yeah, cover negative three, I think they were running. Yeah, just ran past everybody. And 
Tebow, so in this playoff game, this playoff game that Tim Tebow won as a quarterback, he was 10 of 21 for 316 yards, two touchdowns passing, 50 yards rushing, and one rushing touchdown, which is an amazing stat line for a quarterback. The completion percentage isn't is under 50%, but it's still 316 yards, a lot of that padded by the 80, and 50 yards on the ground. It's just a really good line just and good, just good football just good football just straight up good football and they got killed the next week but i will never forget those tebow magic moments because part of it is that it was so improbable and we'll i'll dive into this a little bit later but just the fact that all those like sports is largely about like moments and you had yeah Moment after moment after moment, and sure you had to slog through it, but like most people don't have the photographic memories of games, and what you remember is oh those final two drives or those final things, and that's just like a like a couple seasons worth of great moments, like crammed into this condensed little you know twelve game stretch essentially. Yeah, I'm not a Broncos fan, and I remembered it was Christian Ponder who threw that because it was just like everybody was watching and paying attention to those games because they were so wild right. at the time. And I think there's sort of so I think there are three ways that you could make this argument. And I don't know, and I feel like you're going towards number three, but like just in terms of a rubric for how everybody is wrong. The question is, are you saying that Tim Tebow was a good quarterback? Are you saying Tim Tebow had the potential to be a very good quarterback? I think those are two ways you can argue this. But the third is, was Tim Tebow a good quarterback for Broncos fans at the time? So I would probably say I'm arguing hardest on the third one. But I do also, I'll kind of get into the first one and maybe a little bit of the second one. Because I think you have some information maybe on that on that second point. I have I have some thoughts and feelings on the second yeah. point. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where we end up on okay. that. But I do think that what you're saying, and and again, like, yeah, Tebow was was a first round pick, but he's what twenty fifth overall pick. Right. He's your second first round pick that year, behind Demarius. Behind Demarius, who Thomas. is no doubt about it, twenty second overall. That's incredible value. Demarius Thomas was a great. People forget how good he. Is like or was yeah i mean him and the fact that really him and eric decker helped tebow so much this year in 2011 just like bailing him out because he was not throwing crisp balls but it was like they found a way sort of to but like thomas was dk metcalf before dk metcalf kind of of that combination of size and speed and just like raw athleticism Right. He wasn't, again, maybe the best catcher of the ball, but like yeah. you're talking about a really elite wide receiver. He had a lot, he had drop problems, but, and he probably doesn't, he doesn't pop in the like freak athlete way the same way like DK Metcalf. You'll just like see a picture of him without his shirt off and you're like, yeah. Oh my gosh, what is this? Or you'll see the play where he's, you know, running down, where he basically does the, uh, against Buddha Baker. Yeah. Where he's just running across the field and just like, getting the interception like he's like the terminator 
But that 80-yard touchdown that you're talking about at the end of that playoff game, mm-hmm. Thomas, what, had what, sub 4-4 speed for a dude who's huge, big-time, big-body wide receiver. Right. Julio sort of stats overall in terms of his, like, athleticism. And that Steelers defense, like, yeah, they were selling out for the run for all the reasons, but, like, Steelers defense has some real players on it, and he just left them all on it. Yeah, there was – I mean, it's not – if you go back and watch that play, it's not like he was wide. He was open, but it wasn't like he was wide open and no one was within ten yards of him. There were like three defender, three like defensive backs, like around him when he catches the ball, and he just blows past them all to the end zone. Yeah. And it's just like, well, you guys, you didn't have exactly an offensive brain trust, and we can talk about this later. Yes. I don't want to name the names of the offensive coaches. On that year's Broncos. Well, we, <laughs> we, I think we, I think we will eventually because yeah, oh, we're gonna have to name those names. One this is a teaser. In, there's one specifically that definitely yeah. needs to be named, and essentially, well, I think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. essentially, I think made his career off like the combination of having this Tebow and then the next Manning. Even though Peyton Manning is one of those guys where you're like. Peyton Manning is the offensive coordinator of Peyton Manning. Why are we giving like any, maybe Tom Moore some credit. Cause he like shaped him in like when he was the, with the Colts and stuff like that. But like Peyton Manning was the offensive yeah. coordinator for Peyton Manning. You know, it's the same uh, way. Speaking of the guy who drafted Tim Tebow, essentially Josh McDaniels gets a ton yeah. of credit for being an offensive genius, despite him being a total fraud as a head coach, because he got a, he look how good his offense was when they had Tom Brady and Randy Moss and Turns Rob Gronkowski. Tom Brady and Randy Moss, pretty wow. good. Weird, pretty good. weird. And look at his last year. He didn't have Tom Brady. Why is the Patriots' offense bad all of a sudden? They have the yeah. genius and Josh Tom McDaniels Brady at forty nine <laughs> years old, still slinging it. Well, and the other, the other, the other piece of that Demarius Thomas thing is like when you talk about two first rounders. Because the other team that had two first-rounders that year, Seattle Seahawks, Earl Thomas, Russell O'Kong, earlier. Good picks. But, like, when you get two first-rounders, you're sort of playing with house money with that second one. Right. You know what I mean? You can take that risk and not set your franchise back. And that's essentially what you guys managed to do right there was get this, like, dose of magic without the opportunity cost loss that typically missing on a first-round quarterback, and you do miss on a first-round quarterback, a little later in Brock Osweiler, right? He was first rounder, right? And Paxton Lynch. Impact. Oh no, wait. Was Osweiler a second rounder, and then Lynch was a first? No. Uh, uh, yeah, Osweiler was a second uh, second yeah. rounder. I guess it's Paxton. It's Paxton Lynch who you like that set you guys back in a way that maybe the Tebow pick doesn't because you get that like massively talented player at a high quality position, which is to say you get to just enjoy the magic because you aren't like, oh, my franchise is ruined because. Of Right. And it also, you know, as we were said, it was not considered like a good pick by the Broncos <laughs> no. to draft like pretty much across the board, like F grades for that pick. Like I'm looking at Neither CBS Paxton Sports Lynch, Spoiler alert. But I mean, <laughs> but some, Paxton Lynch, at least some people like tried to justify it. And actually, let's I think Paxton Lynch leads into kind of my next point, which falls into the third column of the three columns that you were describing, which is generally the absurdity of Broncos quarterback history. Yeah. So basically the Broncos have a very weird quarterback history in a way that like not a lot of other teams 
do because normally when you're like, oh, that team has a weird quarterback history, you just mean bad. Like it's like, oh, the Cleveland Browns Browns. just, yeah, cycled through dozens and dozens of quarterbacks in like a decade and a half. And it's like, oh, they have had 20 different starters in the past 12 years or more than that, maybe. Yeah, the other, the others are the Bears, I guess the Jets to a degree. Right. But, and all those are like, oh, they just always have it bad. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, even when the Bears won the Super Bowl, it was like Jim McMahon was the quarterback who was not exactly what you a good quarterback in the way that people discuss no he was he was brad johnson he was trent dilfer he's that league average guy with that unbelievable defense. yeah he's honestly when the broncos win the super bowl he's that level he's maybe even a little better than dying peyton manning Yes, we will get to dying paid betting. Uh, so the first, the one side note that really doesn't go into this point, but I just wanted to bring it up, is one of the weird aspects about Broncos quarterbacks that goes into the way past was the Broncos actually had the first black starting quarterback in the in the Super Bowl era, uh, Marlon Briscoe in 1968. They have literally not started a black quarterback since then. The closest they came was last year. Yeah, that when, wide receiver. Well, technically, yeah, Kendall Hinton was the quarterback for a game because the Broncos' whole quarterback room got COVID or got tested. Uh, but actually, it even sucks for Kendall Hinton because they started the game in Wildcat. So technically, Philip Lindsay was the starting quarterback for that game. <laughs> Uh, so well, you guys might break that. Yeah, that's the thing. Impressive. If Teddy Bridgewater, I think, will beat out Drew Locke if the Broncos don't trade for Aaron Rodgers in the next week or two, which is also a possibility. But that situation is a whole mess, which I am not going to bother getting into right now. <laughs> yeah, this is not a normal football podcast. No, it's the only thing that's been discussed. Only thing we've got to talk about. Months. Yeah. So to keep the Broncos' quarterback absurdity in kind of modern terms is I'll start kind of before my fandom, but like in the modern era where John Elway became the Broncos quarterback in 1983, he was set to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, but didn't want to play for the Baltimore Colts because his dad thought their coach was like a hard ass and didn't want to deal with that. But Elway was a good baseball player in the New York Yankee system. So basically he leveraged that against the Colts and the Broncos came in and traded for him which weirdly, like, I think is one of those things that is kind of a player empowerment era trailblazing thing that almost never gets mentioned. I, d- I don't think there was quarterbacks, be- top picks before that were leveraging where they want to go. But then that happened again later with Eli Manning and others. Uh, Elway won the MVP, an MVP with the Broncos and made three Super Bowls before the 1990 season. But... The Broncos still were kind of like a little unsure at that point, kind of like, oh, he's getting a little older. So they drafted Tommy Maddox in the first round in 1992, a future XFL MVP, the only XFL MVP. Oh, yeah, for the LA Extreme. <laughs> Extreme. But then, for Sean Salam, I believe, yeah. were their two best players. Yeah, so the... <laughs> So that was in 1992. Again, it's kind of similar to what Aaron Rodgers is going through. It's just like, oh, we're taking a first-round quarterback. And John Elway's like, weird. I'm better than him. Elway stuck around until 1999. Tommy Maddox did not. Well, 
Well, well, well, no, he did not he stick around with the Broncos. Super Bowl champion against the Seahawks in 2005. Yes, he did not stick around with the Broncos. He eventually kicked around again, XFL all over the place. He had like, and then came back with like a good year with the Steelers. It was, it was weird. Tommy Maddox, but that's. Yeah, I don't know. This is not a Tommy Maddox. Everyone was wrong. <laughs> that'd be that'd be a stretch. In his final two seasons, the Broncos finally got over the hump with Elway winning back-to-back Super Bowls. Elway won Super Bowl MVP in his final game, which is like kind of the model for like going out on top and actually staying retired. He retired with the most passing touchdowns and most games won in NFL history. At the time he retired, he was probably either the first or second best quarterback in like the GOAT conversation, depending on where you rank Joe Montana, giving him more credit for winning more Super Bowls. But Elway kind of had a longer career with better stats, so to speak. And then there came the first wasteland of Broncos quarterbacks, which was Brian Greasy wasn't good. Jake Plummer was occasionally good but over turnover prone those are two those are two guys Brian Greasy and Jake Plummer are both guys and they both weren't terrible right no Jake Jake Plummer was actually had like a year or two that was like good and like the Broncos were Super Bowl contenders with Jake Plummer yeah but it just like he couldn't overcome his Jake Plummerness from when he was on the Cardinals and just like the turnover god can I float something, though, before yeah. we move past this? Brian Gracie is the anti-Tim Tebow. I mm. feel like he had the worst vibes possible. Yeah. But was incredibly accurate, like, as a quarter. Like, and it, was, and it felt like it was constant late-game collapses from Brian Yeah. Greasy. Brian Gracie, it just, you never felt like he was going to win in the exact opposite way of, like, Tebow. You just were like, well... He's never completing anything, but we're going to win. Greasy was like, well, he's kind of good. He's kind of like Sam Bradfordy, where he's like, oh, yeah, he's completing a lot. But like, this guy's not going to this guy's not going to take us anywhere. Yeah. And then uh, Jake Plummer was followed up by Jay Cutler, who is Jay Cutler. Also good, though. Again, yeah, that's the thing. Weird. These are some he's juice. hard to deal with. Jay Cutler I could maybe do it. Everyone is wrong about Jay Cutler. I would, I could, uh, I mean, Jay Cutler is maybe the best quarterback in Bears history. Yeah. And a top three quarterback in Broncos history. And one of the most maligned players in the history. Yeah. He is, he is the, he's probably the best quarterback that the most people hate that, like, other than, like, hating them because they're so, like, lots of people hate Tom Brady, but nobody's like, Tom Brady's bad. Most people are like, Jay Cutler sucks. And it's like, actually, no. Jay Cutler was pretty good at quarterback. You got mad because he got injured one game and was like, did it come back in because he was injured in a playoff game? it turned out he tore his MCL. And people are like, Like, it's a real injury. It's a real injury. (laughs) McDaniels came in and forced Jay Cutler out, leading to the Kyle Orton neckbeard era. And basically, that was a whole decade from 1999 to 2009, where it was like just a mess, but like promising at times. And, you know, you could kind of the teams weren't always bad. There was playoff teams in there, but 
it just never like Jay Cutler could never get over the like would lose at the very end of the season and miss out on the playoffs and they just lose stupid games because he would throw interceptions too much and things like that. Then came the 2010 NFL draft. Noted New England Patriots offensive coordinator and total fraud Josh McDaniels had taken over, pushed Cutler out, picked up Tebow, and it was widely seen as a huge reach. But yeah, then the magic happened and it was a wonderful, fun season. And then immediately after that, like how many times has a quarterback won a playoff game and gotten traded away from the team that he just won a playoff game for? Well, in like in, in this case, it's a quarterback on a rookie contract. Yeah. Because like the what are other examples? I mean, uh, I mean, did Alex Smith win one in his last year with Kansas City? Maybe, but like that doesn't count. But that you was know what they, I mean. I mean, it, it's it's slightly similar that like they had already drafted his replacement in that situation, so it was a little like, you know, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgersy, where it was like, oh, Mahomes is coming in to take over, and I mean, I don't. Again, I don't blame the Broncos for pushing out TiVo because Peyton Manning was coming in. And Peyton Manning is Peyton Manning. He was better. He's just better we'll at say, playing we'll a quarterback. He's a better quarterback. But, like, I get what you're saying in the sense of, like, Tim Tebow, they traded him for, what, seventh rounder? They traded him and a seventh rounder for a fourth and a sixth. That's what I mean. It's, it's like a giveaway in the yeah. sense where, like, the Alex Smith thing was a guy deeper in his career. You see, you can imagine, like, if you've got the wrong guy and you know it, trading for a second rounder, something like that. You see those sorts of trades more often. Right. This is a this is a dump. This is like a dump, and it's not even a salary. Like, there was no reason Tim Tebow, other than all the reasons, right. that he couldn't have been Peyton Manning's back. There right. was no reason. And, and, and should have been. Like, honestly, could have been a cool wildcat option. <laughs> Although, the idea of pulling Peyton Manning off the field in 2013. Oh, my. <laughs> really hard. Yeah. So, Tim T. So, Peyton Manning basically came in and had the best quarterback season of all time <laughs> his very yeah. first year. And then was like good for three more years. And it was just like smashing records. But the Broncos were always coming up just a little bit short. Oftentimes weird coaching things. Oftentimes just like some bad luck with injuries and things like that. They might have played a team that you root for once uh, yeah. in a they, Super Bowl. They ran, into a, they ran into a pretty good defense. <laughs> they, the, they, got, the they got trounced by the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Uh, they fumbled on the very first play of the game. <laughs> It was yeah. it was they not good. They fumbled on the first play of the game, and they gave up a kick return on the first play of the second half. And in between, it wasn't better. Right, and they also, you know, that was they made the one year that they made the Super Bowl with peak Peyton Manning was also a year where Ryan Clady, their All Pro offensive tackle, was out for the year. Von Miller, the eventual Super Bowl MVP for another team, was out. It was just like none of the luck totally lined up for those teams. But then in Manning's final year at Super Bowl 50, they won with Peyton Manning, who was, I would say, a worse quarterback than Tim Tebow at that point. Yeah. He had a noodle think, arm. Yeah. I, he was at least he 
he made enough plays like he would make like two plays a game and it would be like let's get two touchdowns in the first quarter and then let's hope that's enough but QB rating and like who cares about QB rating with 67.9 it's lower than Tebow's and you got to factor in that Tebow and again we're gonna this this goes to column one Tebow with his legs was a threat. That's the and thing. Like Manning had thirty-nine-year-old Peyton Manning's that. legs no. were not a threat, and his arm was not a threat. But he was like essentially crafty, so he'd like maybe like dump in like a touchdown pass to a tight end along the sideline in like the first quarter, and it would be like, oh well, that's good because the Broncos' defense that year kind of flipped a switch it's like now thought of as one of like the better defenses ever but like during the regular season they were just kind of like a good defense and then they hit the playoffs and it flipped and also they got lucky that year because the they played the Steelers in the playoffs and it was immediately after the Steelers game where Burfikit knocked out Antonio Brown so yeah, Antonio yeah. Brown did not play in the Broncos Steelers game. And he had absolutely torched the Broncos when they played in the regular season. So that was again, lucky. So that was the Manning era ending on a really weird note where he won in by far the worst year of his career. And then the post Manning situation was somehow far 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 worse than the post la situation because the post la situation at least like these guys are pretty talented the post manning it's paxton lynch trevor simeon case keenum joe flacco and drew Locke leading the way which and let's be clear about what version of joe flacco we're talking about yeah we're not talking about the joe flacco that inexplicably beat manning in his first year in that's, one yeah, of the worst I think, losses of my life. I think we're getting a life. Joe Flacco that's equivalently bad to Peyton Manning's last year versus Peyton Manning's yeah. peak as Joe Flacco to Joe Flacco's peak. Yeah, it's it's flaccid Flacco. It's bad. It's real bad. So essentially the Broncos quarterback situation has been this huge stretch of Elway, three great years of Peyton Manning, plus one awful year that actually won the Super Bowl, the crazy Tebow year, and then sort of a hodgepodge. And in that Milnu, Tebow's year is definitely one of my three or four favorite quarterback seasons of the Broncos. Like, I would take the two Elway Super Bowl years. I would probably take the first batting year, though it ended so poorly. But actually, probably not. I would probably my third favorite Broncos quarterback year is probably the the Tim Tebow year. And it's because it's just so weird and it stands out and it's such an outlier in a engaging way. So again, going to going back to your three columns of defense for Tebow, it's that he is a wonderful enjoyment Broncos quarterback because it is so strange. Yeah, I remember sit, like Brian Greasy was a much better NFL quarterback than Tim Tebow by any like sabermetric situation. Like there's no stat that says the other, but I couldn't tell you a single Brian Greasy. I couldn't even tell you a Jake Plummer Broncos play. All my Jake Plummer memories are him on those weird Cardinals teams. Like, I, like they were better, but they weren't memorable. 
in the way that Tebow was in eight games. So my third point of defense is sort of a get a contextualization thing. And it's that sports enjoyment, it goes off that Manning point that I just made, that sports enjoyment is largely tied to expectations. So that 2011 Broncos season is my probably my third favorite Broncos season, even ahead of the one where they won the Super Bowl. Because first off, I had already experienced Super Bowl wins, so it wasn't like the end of my drought. Okay, okay, we get it. We but also, but also, it's just expectations. So I feel like in general, people miscalculate how how much sports enjoyment is actually tied to what you're expecting. On like, you know, they understand it on like a small level, like if a 15 seed or a 16 seed wins in March Madness, it's like, ah, the tiny team shouldn't beat the powerhouse team. This is weird. And I'm enjoying it because it's unexpected. But I think we lose sight of some of the bigger picture things. Like, I feel like people get sports. And this kind of is a counterpoint to what I the Tebow point that I'm going to make. But I think people get sports pain and like tortured franchises and like suffering fan bases is always like totally miscalculated because people always bring up teams like the Detroit lions as like tortured fan bases. And that's kind of bonkers to me because that is not what being a tortured sports fan is. Sports fan is only really painful if you have expectations and you lose like teams like the Lions and the Browns until last year and the Sacramento Kings recently, your new hometown, Sacramento Kings. I believe you moved there to be the general manager. Yeah. 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 Uh, Spike. You know, we're, we're trying to trade Melvin Bagley for Ben Simmons. I believe that's going to work out great. That's, okay. Yes. That's A, going to happen and B, going to work out if it were to happen. Yes. Uh, so those teams are always brought up as like, Their fans have it the worst than anybody. But Spike, you and I are both Seattle Mariners fans. I I believe that is the case. (laughs) Unfortunately, though they're doing okay right now, they have suffered through just horrible trades. If you look back at their draft history, don't do it. It'll make you sad. We do it all the time. I've done it. (laughs) We do it all the time. And... The Mariners haven't made the playoffs in 20 years. They have the longest like postseason drought of any major professional sports team. But I have to ask you this. Have the Mariners brought you one one hundredth of the pain as the final few plays of the Seahawks Patriots Super Bowl? I mean, no. And like I would say like the last 15 years of Mariners baseball have brought me less pain than a th- the average Seahawks win right. over the last <laughs> five years. The Seahawks just have a brutal <laughs> way of making the most interesting games. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's that it's, you know, it's the classic Chinese proverb. May you live in interesting times is the curse. Like, yeah. As a Mariners fan, I think we can both agree that like the pain of like 2000 to 2005 is a hundred times more than the following 15 years where they were much, much worse. (laughs) Yeah. Much worse, but exactly like having 93 win teams miss the playoffs because you run into Moneyball is so much harder than having 
just the most awful hilarious inept garbage team where you're like i get joy out of like a guy growing his beard weird or whatever right. at this point yeah and you know for me like Gonzaga's national title losses sting way more than anything the Mariners have done. Or yes. when the Pacers lose to the Miami Heat, it's like, uh, in the playoffs, it's like, oh, no, not this again. We were close or, you know, and that's the same thing in the years that Peyton Manning was good. Peyton Manning's seasons, this is kind of a Manning to TiVo comparison, but they were one of the top offensive teams in all those years and also had one of the best defenses and yet they kept choking over and over again in the playoffs which was the knock on manning for a lot of years even with his colts time uh most notably the 2012-13 season we lost to joe effin flacco and the ravens in a game where it it's one of my hardest losses of all time because i went into that game where i'm like well as long as we play our like safeties deep will win this game like going into the game i was like so we just play our safeties deep the only way they have a chance is if we allow joe flacco to have like 50 bombs in this game just do like hail mary every play and we played them so that they could do hail marys on every play and then we had a chance to put away the game on like a fourth down and we did not go for it it was like fourth and two or three and we did not go for it and gave joe flacco the ball back and our safety fell down, and we lost that game. I uh, I mainly blame John Fox for that game because of not going for it, and it was weird because John Fox for Tim Tebow clearly hated that he couldn't do anything and stripped down the playbook so that he could just be streamlined. And then when he got Peyton Manning, he was like, "Wait, hold on, let's not like when it's a close game, let's not let you." free and do whatever you want my friends and i we referred to him as john fox news because nobody was more conservative there we go i like that yeah i was gonna say like that loss even though it's not in the super bowl i mean it's a divisional round it's not even the conference final has to be i would imagine tell me if i'm wrong harder in some ways than the super bowl loss to the seahawks oh yeah for sure because, like, that one's not a choke. You just ran into... Right. You ran into a bad matchup. Yeah, we ran into a bad matchup. Also, that year, the Ravens won the Super Bowl, and they weren't very good. And the like, Broncos were clearly the best... The Broncos were clearly, clearly, clearly the best team of the NFL that year. Like, it was not... Well, I well I would make the argument, actually, and this is wild, yeah. that, that the end of that season is the best version of the Seahawks that ever existed. Hmm. The end of the 2012 season, that team choked hard against the Falcons. Oh, right. But right, like, that like that team, like from like week not like once they like let Russ cook the first time, they put up like 55 points on the, like a couple games in a row with the Legion of Boom. Anyway, whatever. It's Either way. There. I do, our teams were better that year than they were the next year. When they yeah, the when they played the Super Bowl. And like definitely because the Broncos – had Vaughn Miller and Ryan Clady in this yes. version too. So yeah, it was just uh brutal. And also like, that's another, again, the expectation things and like being, as we talked about, like the Mariners fandom, like Mariners, you could just like kind of check out and like, you know, there's a point where you're like, Oh, this isn't happening. And you like mentally can like cope with it. And like, that's what, all Lions and Browns seasons were forever. Meanwhile, like 
even the Seahawks game in the Super Bowl, it's like that game was kind of over so quickly. It's yeah. similar to the uh, Gonzaga national title game this year. It was like it was over so quickly that it like almost didn't hurt me as much. It's similar to every Mariners season. Right. That it's over in May. It's yeah. just even this one where they're over 500. Like, come on. Right. Like, yeah. So the losses that are close hurt so much more than, oh, we just got smoked. Whatever. I guess even if it's on the biggest stage. But yeah, that's to say that the journey uh, of basement expectations to the Steelers win Tebow year was just amazing because again, just on the, on the base of it, I am not arguing that Tim Tebow was an amazing quarterback in the way that you play quarterback. Tim Tebow was as cliche as it sounds a winner and he just made winning plays when it happened so Tim Tebow was not a good quarterback. We kept coming back every game with a quarterback who was not good at playing quarterback. And every single time it was like, well, that was absolutely insane. Surely it can't happen again. Oh, well, well, it happened again, but like that won't happen the next game. And even though it was happening every year, week, the expectations were still low because it was so improbable each time. It's like, well, eventually the the Bears are up and all they have to do is run out the clock. So, like, Tebow's not going to do a comeback with this. We have no timeouts. And then it's like, oh, he just ran out of bounds for no reason. And so although even the loss at the end of the Tebow season, it's like I went into that game with zero expectations that they were going to win. Even, like, the Steelers, I was like, eh, maybe they'll find a way. But it's like Brady Belichick... Honestly, I'm not going to be bad. That loss hurt me 0%, even though it was like a divisional round playoff loss. I was like, okay. it was. I had so many weeks of dumb thrills back to back to back to back and then got sunk down into another low expectations with how bad that season ended in the regular season. And then to have that high point where I'm just jumping around my living room and screaming like a maniac because Demarius Thomas is faster than anyone on the Steelers is just, that's a quantifiable thing that you can hold on to and makes the whole Tebow journey worth it. He was able to set a low bar and then continually like, like looked like he was walking up to just kick the bar off and then would somehow jump five feet over it every time. And then he'd set the bar back down on the ground. And you're like, yeah, it was, it, it, he kind of was a self fulfilling, like, you know, the snake eating its own tail where it's just like, he's going to set you up for not thinking he's going to do it. and just does it every single time. Well, also just add you guys losing that divisional round game. If you don't do that, Tom Brady doesn't lose a second Super Bowl to Eli Manning, which is hilarious. Yeah, we really classic. So you know, Tebow made the right choice losing that game. Yeah, thank you, thank us everybody, thank us for <laughs> letting letting the Patriots have a flaw in their system. Oh, it's so good. So my fourth defense point, and I think we can kind of get into a lot of things here, is sort of practice and the concept of practice, which sort of ties into how we 
look at things from a quote-unquote objective lens. So the basic thing is, why did Tim Tebow take five games to start the 2011 season behind Kyle Orton, even though Kyle Orton's like wildly mediocre? And why did Tim Tebow never start another game after leading the team to a playoff victory and playing great? On the surface, that would seem totally absurd because basically everything about NFL culture values winning above anything else, even above morals, above health. It's just win at all costs is the like football coach mentality. And the obvious answer to why this happened is Tim Tebow sucked at practice, which is documented and makes a lot of sense because he does not throw the ball in an appealing way at all. He does not throw the ball with consistent timing at all. He is not the type of guy who excels in practice. During the training camp in August 2011, the season of Tebow, Yahoo's Michael Silver wrote a report about the Broncos quarterback situation, which after talking about undrafted rookie quarterback Adam Weber stated, this is a quote, if you're wondering about the plight of that other inexperienced passer on the Broncos roster, how far and how fast he has fallen in the eyes of his bosses, consider at least some people in the organization believe Tim Tebow is the fourth best quarterback on the roster. As one highly knowledgeable member of the organization told me Monday, quote, if everything was totally equal and this was a competition based only on performance at camp, Tebow would probably be the fourth string guy. Kyle Orton is far and away the best, and Tebow is way behind Brady Quinn too. And I'm telling you, Adam Weber is flat out better right now. So the in training camp, it was just like, Tim Tebow's terrible at playing quarterback. We're having to watch him practice every day. It's awful. John Fox was not a Tebow fan. Even after the Broncos rose to 4-1 and one in Tebow starts, Fox was quoted as saying, I mean, what the hell? You don't get points for style in this league. Let me tell you something. My man is really good in this offense. You know what I mean? If we're trying to run a regular offense, he'd be screwed. Now, is this, this is where we do it, right? This is where we say, this is where we reveal the, the, the wizard behind the curtain, if you will. Yes. Because for me, training camp performance to a degree for quarterbacks, especially young quarterbacks, you know, if you've ever watched training camp, it's a lot of position group work where the you don't even work with the offensive coordinator. You work with your position coach. Who was the quarterback coach of the Denver Broncos 2011-2012? I believe that would be Adam Gase. Adam Gase. The... Coach for whom I would say the only thing that NFL fans believe about Adam Gase is you are better as far away from him as you can get. Like, it's like a spectrum where if you were too close to Adam Gase, you forget how to play football. And then as you were removed from that vortex, you become excellent. And if you look at Adam Gase's uh, most recent, I would say, I'd say there are two quarterbacks that come to mind here. The first is Ryan Tannehill, mm -hmm. who under Adam Gase had a quarterback rating in the like mid to high 80s. 
uh, mm. and got hurt all the time. Since leaving Adam Gase has a quarterback rating in the high 100s, a yeah. 21 point increase in quarterback rating, just escaping from the vortex of Adam Gase, I think. Right. So for, for a little context, Adam Gase was the Broncos quarterback coach from 2011 to 2012. So he basically got the Tebow year and then the first Manning year. And then he was the offensive coordinator for two years with Manning, which again, Peyton Manning is Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator. He took the bears offensive coordinator for one year. Guess what? The bears quarterbacks are still bad. And then he got the Miami dolphins head coaching job and the New York jets head coaching job. And that Tannehill stretch was with under head coach, Adam Gase, who was literally brought in in theory to be like, I'm going to fix Ryan Tannehill and we are going to be a good team now that we have that. Because, look, I was able to win games with Tim Tebow and I coached Peyton Manning and was technically his the coach in charge of his offense. So give me credit for that. Ryan Tannehill under Adam Gase was like pretty bad. He was like, he wasn't terrible, but he was in that Brian Greasy, Jake Plummer. Oh, I don't think so. I th- I thought his career was over. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's an insult to Jake Plummer because at least Jake, Plummer, like he hadn't even showed the flashes that Jake Plummer had showed. Yeah. I, well, and, and yeah, Tannehill also a weird practice guy too, sort of legendarily a jerk in practice and not very good. He would yell at DBs for having the temerity to pick him off. And he was a guy who was drafted. He was a wide receiver in college, right? Tannehill? Tannehill? Was he? No, I think he was was like a real, he was like a big time prospect. He was, it's wild because he was in that year of Robert Griffin, Andrew Luck, and Russell Wilson. And at the time it was like, what a disaster. And then, oh yeah, he was a wide receiver. He he switched at Texas A&M from receiver to quarterback in his sophomore year no it's junior year wow that's wild that is wild anyway that's all to say that Tannehill then goes to Tennessee where they have a run first offensive coordinator in Arthur Smith who's now the head coach of the Falcons Mm -hmm. and turns into a top five NFL quarterback he's just good all the time it's just but like Still, people don't totally trust it because of all the years that he spent under Adam Gase. They're like, like he should be drafted high in fantasy drafts and never is. And like, yeah. whatever you're talking about, like the best quarterbacks, it's like, wait, we do we have to include? I know, like the stats say we need to include Ryan Tannehill, but like, do we really have to put him up there with like Mahomes and Rogers and Brady? And it's like, I mean, what he's done the past few years, yes. Yeah, he started all 16 games this year, went 11 and 5, 33 touchdowns to seven interceptions. In Tennessee, he's got a 68% completion rating, quarterback rating of 110. Those are Aaron Rodgers. Those are video. Like, and under Adam Gase was um, uh, really mediocre. Yeah, and even this year, like, Adam Gase then went to be the Jets coach. And now, and Sam Darnold was terrible. I mean, I'm not a big Sam Sam Darnold fan. Sam Darnold was the second overall pick in the draft. Right. Comes in. His only weakness is he throws too many picks. By the time Adam Gase is done with him, he has no strength, so he's still throwing just as many picks. 
at Sam Darnold, despite not having legs like Tebow and not having any sort of mystical powers, ends up with the worst quarterback rating under Gase than Tebow. Like, yeah, I mean, ends up getting mono. Ends up like his he broke down to a degree that would happen in like a horror movie, like a Stephen King <laughs> novel where a curse gets put on someone. Yeah, like, that's what happened to Sam Darnold, just being in the proximity of Adam Gase for too long. And in general, now he got Darnold got traded to the Panthers in the offseason. The main reason why people are like kind of excited about him coming into next year, like NFL analysts and fans, is like, well, he's away from Adam Gase now, so like he'll probably be at least a lot better. If you Google Sam Darnold right now, the top news headline is Carolina Panthers teammates rave about new quarterback Sam Darnold. Tim Tebow never got those sorts of headlines after the fact. And I think that that's what you're speaking to, right? Except it's, it's this idea that like he was garbage in practice. Yeah. And we all assume that meant there was like, he was fundamentally broken and maybe he was, but he was a, he had incredible legs. Like there's no, like there's no reason. And this is, this is, I'm going to get like very hot with a take right now. Mm-hmm. With the right coaching, in the right situation, this is true of a lot of guys, is there any reason that Tim Tebow isn't, oh God, I, I mean, there is a reason, but like, isn't 85% of Camden, isn't maybe on the Josh Allen trajectory with the right coach? Right. I think the, the, the knock you would maybe say is just like general arm strength. It's but like, Yeah, because those guys had sort of unwieldy strength like they 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 had cannons um just didn't know what to do with them a little bit i mean newton always kind of knew what to do but generally you talk about with how the quarterback position has changed to running being such an important factor there's really it's kind of inexcusable that i'm not even as mad with the broncos for like delaying it because it's just like oh whatever Kyle Orton but it's just I never and I still to this day don't understand how he did not get a single start with the Jets in a year when the Jets were terrible it's just so much uh, because so much of the NFL coaching thing is just like all I care about is like winning and it's just like why not try it's one of those things where one of my most frustrating things about coaching in general is people getting locked into not giving other players a chance when the guys there are not performing in the actual games where it's just like these starters aren't good. Like why not just try this? Like you don't have to be stubborn. Like I know you're seeing that he's not good in practice, but like you traded for this guy, you gave up some picks, not a lot. It was kind of a toss in, but like, why not just see because you had a season's worth of proof that even despite him not looking good, that he just found a way to win games. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think, I think there's two, I think there's two guys who I'm going to throw out. And it, the obvious one is Greg Roman. You know, you look at what Greg Roman did with Kaepernick. You look at what he did with Lamar Jackson. If Greg Roman is your offensive coordinator instead of, Adam Gase and it's Mike McCoy who is mm-hmm. um, 
as generic an offensive coordinator as his name would suggest, I think is the way to describe <laughs> Mike McCoy. I think if you put him with a Greg Roman type, you're talking about a guy who turned Colin Kaepernick and Lamar Jackson into a pro bowl and an MVP, you know, and could really maximize the skill set of the quarterback he was given. Again, I don't want to say Tebow was as good as either Kaepernick or Jackson. He was no. obviously not as fast. Right. And he didn't have the raw arm strength. No. But he did have strength. He was a very good runner. He was a power runner also for a quarterback. Like lots of the yeah, quarterback exactly. running, like Kyler Murray, it's just like, I'm quicker than you. Or like Mike Vick, it's like, I can scamper away from you. Tebow would just be like, you know what? This, like the my first read isn't there. I'm just going to like run over a guy and get six yards. Yeah. And I mean, okay. So actually there's three because the, the next guy to bring up is Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting. I didn't know this. So I was doing some research. Josh Allen pre Brian Dable was Tebow-esque in terms of being garbage. Also a laughing stock as a first round pick. Right. Coming out of Wyoming, like just yeah. like not a football school that anybody's wanting. That it's just like. Well, wildly inaccurate. Yeah, he was wildly inaccurate. Wildly inaccurate. Like, has all the tools, wildly inaccurate. He, uh, Wyoming put up, I think, a 52% completion percentage. Like In college, which is bad. terrible in college. College. And then, again, his first, his first year in the pros. Like, yeah. But then he gets with Brian Dable, and he becomes a real quarterback after a minute. What's interesting about that is Tebow's stop after the Jets is with the Patriots. Who was the Patriots' tight end coach that year? Brian Dable. There was a chance, and everybody wanted it. <laughs> everybody wanted Belichick to turn Tebow into some like weird hybrid tight end quarterback guy, and Dable was there. And it's just funny to think like, oh, maybe if he it was Dable's first year in New England, it's yeah. Like, oh, maybe if he had a little more juice with Belichick, he would have gotten there. Yeah. And oh, I just want to throw out the third one, uh, yeah. which is look at New Orleans right now. They're yeah. going to start Taysom Hill this year. They're getting, like they're saying he is the fate. Sean Payton is saying he is the favorite to start over Jameis Winston. Right. You're telling me Tim Tebow is worse than Taysom Hill? Like he's better. He's literally just a better Taysom Hill. Like yeah. that's all. And like they both respect God in weird ways, and like it's all the same thing. It's all the same stuff. Like what are we doing here? Also, if- like bonus, just like I got a. I was the fantasy football exploiter last year who fitting for Tim Tebow. Taysom Hill was always listed as a tight end, and there was one week when he was the starting quarterback where he was still listed at tight end, and I got to start him at tight end. And maybe that's the Tebow play this year is you you draft him as your tight end in fantasy, and then one of these weeks Trevor Lords gets hurt, and all of a sudden it's like Urban's like, you know, we're good, just going to start Tebow. We're just going to go stand back there, Tim. Oh, poor Gardner Minshew. <laughs> but it is like a real thing of like, I, I think – uh, and, and this is like the point I wanted to avoid. I didn't want to put it this way, but like, was Tim Tebow ahead of his time? He could have been. Like, he, if you look at how the game is played now, there's a lot of parallels where it's just like he he was just given up on so fast <laughs> in a way that yeah. like no other football player is given up on this fast, especially one that actually wins. Like all the greatest quarterback busts of all times the Jamarcus Russells the Ryan Leafs all those guys they got to start for multiple years and they had losing records and Tim Tebow 
had one year where he won a playoff game and was kind of awesome in that game. And never got another sniff. Never, none of the the Browns in this quarterback hell that we mentioned never were like, you know what? We're just going to bring him in. We're just going to start him a game because who cares? He's free right now. He's out there. He'll just come like whatever. Also, you know, he doesn't by all accounts, like his teammates might have been like frustrated by him, but he's not like a cancerous presence in like the locker room. He's not somebody who's, you know, having all these off the field issues already. Well, that like, we don't know. Cause he was on the most like, <laughs> like that Florida team. Has yeah. So true. Many guys. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's just like a joke. I, yeah. Yeah. I think like, honestly, and I guess it's just to bring it back to your point on this. Yeah about practice if people knew about adam gase what they know now i think he would have gotten that second chance yeah if people knew that adam gase was radioactive someone would have been like you know we heard all the reports we saw him be bad but like like we gotta give him a shot like blake bortles with the rams these last like you bring in tebow and you get weird with him you know? Also, yeah, I and it's one of those things where it's just like I don't understand why like the Jacksonville Jaguars in that period, like he's now trying to make the team, but it's just like you could have even just for like the stupid marketing purposes, I don't see why Tebow was not brought in to like we're gonna sell some jerseys and some merch and like even if he doesn't start for you, just bringing him in as like your backup quarterback is like a smart financial move. Or- Tampa too, in yeah. the Jameis Winston years, where Winston was so inconsistent. You know, again, like I don't know. I mean, again, you like the idea that Tebow rubs off well on his teammates maybe is not proven right. or borne out by the Aaron Hernandez situation and the bounties. But like, it couldn't be worse with Winston. Couldn't be worse. No, and so kind of dovetailing off this point, this is not a separate point, but I just wanted to like kind of mention it. I know like a lot of the advanced stats, like I'm a, I'm a big believer in like advanced statistics and like them revealing a lot about all different sports, football, baseball, things like that. But also I still kind of believe in intangibles to some degree. I'm very open to advanced stats, but I think sometimes they get treated like dogma in a way that is strange. Like Sam Bradford is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in NFL history. And Tim Tebow is one of the least accurate quarterbacks in NFL history. If you tell me I have like, you have one game to play and it's life or death. I am going with Tim Tebow. Cause I just, the intangibles, the things that stats cannot quantify. And some of it's like things that are kind of obvious. And I don't understand why we pretend like everything is stats where it's just like, Oh, sometimes it's dumb luck. Sometimes it's mental things. Like, I know there's statistical arguments that there's, like, no such thing as momentum and, like, clutch is overvalued. But it's, like, there's also guys who I want in clutch moments and I've, like, played sports before. I also feel like nobody's played tennis. Like, if you played tennis, you, like, understand that, like, mental aspects can just, like, ruin your game and just... Tim Tebow's blind faith and devotion to higher power and himself or whatever is actually a skill. Yeah. 
I like rooting for a football team where the quarterback has blind faith in itself and higher power because, like, we win. The Seahawks have won probably eight extra games over Russell Wilson's tenure based on sheer Russell Wilson badge in the way we're talking about, right? Like, on net, I'd say he's probably lost a couple in 110, you know, just on sheer will at the end of games. And the other piece of it is with the stats, like, Guys are not finished products when they come to the NFL. And again, I'm going to go back. Like, if we were having this conversation two years ago, I'd be less inclined to buy it. But again, Josh Allen comes into the league. Catastrophic prospect. He's a catastrophic prospect. Yeah. He is a prospect who, based on the numbers, has a, like, sub-10% chance of working out. His first year in the league backs that up 52.8% completion percentage and goes 5-6 and as a starter. Touchdown-interception ratio of 10 to 12. Next year, he goes 10 and 6, touchdown interception ratio 20 to 9, 58.8% completion percentage. Okay, he's okay. He's an okay passer. He's good enough to get by with his legs. But like that first year looks like Tebow. The second year, like he grows a lot. The next year, 13 and 3, 69.2% completion percentage, 37 to 10 touchdown interception ratio. And is arguably what? A top three MVP candidate in the yeah. league? And had one years. had like one of the best like fantasy seasons of like all time. Like if you if you're into that, yeah. it's just like it's... I mean, you're talking about in two years developing from a place where Tebow was at to MVP level with the right coaching, the right situation around him, the right complementary pieces. I mean, it helps that they had a great defense. I mean, like Yeah, but the Broncos had a great defense too, you know. Yeah, it's the exactly. same thing. You had and, it. As we said, like the pieces were coming together for the offense too. They had Demarius Thomas. I mean they end up winning a Super Bowl a few years later with worse quarterback play. Like, again, the idea that, like, Tebow there was was hopeless, I think, is what is – what I will – like, that's what I don't – that's what I no longer believe. Right. And also just, like, Tebow – there's no indication that Tim Tebow isn't, like, a super hard worker and wouldn't have, like, yeah. tried to get better. Like, he literally went and go grinded it out for, like, five years in minor league baseball. Even though yeah. he hadn't played baseball in, you know, for however before, like he hadn't played better. since high school, got better. Like he wasn't awesome, but he like rose up the ranks, and it wasn't like a like stunt show. Like he got to Triple A. Like he almost. It, and again, it was one of those things where I'm like, I never, I, I thought like in 2019 or whatever it was, I'm like, why isn't Tebow just a September call up just to get like. When the Mets weren't good, it's just like, why not just there's also some aspects of like media drawing and attention and just like have him there for like a month. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? <laughs> He's probably yeah. not going to be good. But like, who knows? We have seen that Tebow doesn't make sense and somehow can grind out these things. And I mean, that's one of the things I love about him, that he's like a counter to the case against like fanatical devotion to practice and numbers and just sometimes the thing that happens the product on the field speaks for itself the end result is what matters if you tell me i'm gonna win 10 games and they're all gonna be ugly i'll take it over like you know you're going to have a really crisp and a passer who has a good motion but you have a 50 percent chance of winning those games 
Yeah. I'm sorry, I just looked this up. Taysom Hill's completion percentage last year was 72.7. <laughs> what the hell? Sean Payton's a really good coach. Sean Payton's anyway. really good. Also, it's like, it's 72. Those are mostly like... It's 7.8, 7.8 yeah. yards per completion. Not nothing. Not, not nothing. nothing. I mean, it's- it, I, think, I think the thing that people have with Taysom Hill is one, he... <laughs> just on a tangent. One, it's so much worse for... Alvin Kamara. Yeah, Kamara is like so much worse with with him in there because he's just not as good at actually weirdly. He's not as good as dumping it off to Kamara as like Drew Brees was. And also just all of Taysom Hill's deep balls are like not close. They're not good. But again, it's, it is what it is. Like, anyway. Yeah. I think to, to sum up this point, I would say that in general practice is largely dumb. Sometimes. We're talking about practice. Yeah. In the immortal practice? words of Allen Iverson, I, Supposed to be the franchise player, and we're here talking about practice. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. So, with that said, I will go to my fifth and final defense of Tim Tebow, which is more of a, again, kind of in that third column of it is was super fun to be a Broncos fan cheering for Tim Tebow this year because Tim Tebow essentially was trolling without trolling being like, I'm not a fan of trolling in general. I don't like, I I understand that there's a thrill, but I don't like being disingenuous and mean to like get a thrill out of frustrating people. But Tim Tebow allowed you to essentially be trolling everybody just by being like, Hey, our quarterback just keeps winning. Like, we just keep winning the games. And it was sort of at a time before Twitter got totally broken. And it was at the height of, like, the Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith first take era. It was, like, before the take-a-peed was totally formed. And it was just so much fun because I think also it only totally works if you are like me and, like, a bunch of my friends, very realistic Broncos fans, not like the Kool-Aid drinking, like everything's good. We're putting our full faith in everything all the time. But you would it'd just be like, people would be like, yeah, Tim Tebow sucks. And you'd be like, ha ha. Yeah. You lost to him. <laughs> or, you know, the <laughs> satisfaction of just being people being so mad at you for supporting a guy who, didn't look good doing the job, but got the job done and just soaking in that like anger without having to like provoke it in any way was just, it's just a wonderful feeling. Like, you know, it's like, Oh, well he can't even throw the ball. And it's like, well, he threw that one to Demarius Thomas and ran past everybody. So you know what? If he completes, 45% 45% of his passes in this game, but three of them are on the fourth quarter final drive. And then he just runs over three of your tiny cornerbacks and gets into the end zone somehow. And Matt Prater just bails him out time after time. You know what? It's, it's, it's wonderful. And I think this, this is best maybe surmised by there was a uh, DJ Steve Porter remix of Skip Bayless and, Tebow quotes and all these things remix into a auto tune song called all he does is win, which is one of my absolute favorites. 
I, I'm, I'm actually going to, I'll pause for a second. I'm going to send you, send you this. It feels like it's going to be, I hate crying. This kid is a oh, wow. He's a follower. He's a blade maker and a shot caller. In case you didn't know, wow. I got keyboard. He shattered the mold. And all he does is win. This is extremely 2011 era internet. Yeah, you got tired Stephen A. Smith. Wow, you got Elway and Jim Jab in here. You got, oh my god, you got Lil Wayne. It's all happening in the real. Going to church Sunday. It, it. I think that's my game. It's just wonderful. It fills me with joy about how absurd. It kind of just summarizes how absurd that whole media era around Tebow was. I think you're right to highlight that it was an era of like before Twitter was the worst. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know why exactly that is, but like it was definitely an era where something like this wouldn't exist now like this is like you know it's bad lip sync or whatever but like it's it's also like there there was a there's like I, I can think of like dumb soccer memes from that era where it's just like this was it was clean it was it was a kinder gentler time yeah where and... we could just have fun together yeah and... it's just so silly and like the whole Tebow discussion is just it was so loud and so big that as long as you weren't somebody like taking it too seriously, it's so funny. It's just, just to be like the fly on the wall laughing at the clowns yelling at each other. It's... Yeah. Although they did apparently play this on Undisputed two months ago. So. Oh, really? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe Joe Biden's going to bring us back to an era of. <laughs> The glory years of 2011. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just I just love the whole Tim Tebow experience. As I'm sitting here, I am wearing my Tim Tebow jersey, uh, which I bought after they had traded him because it, after that, it was like, oh, was you can get one on eBay for like, yeah, 25 bucks. It's like, yeah. I absolutely <laughs> want that because this is a, a year, a season a player that filled me with immense joy for not always the greatest reasons, but I still feel like he got a raw deal. I still feel like it was an amazing season that has moments that I will never forget, which is kind of what you want from sports. You want to win the titles, obviously, but it's awesome to have a actually memorable year that you don't win a title and it's not disappointing at all that you don't win a title. Those are very rare that you could have a fun year lose and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I love the spirit of this. Um, you know, I, 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 I believe in pieces of this. I think that uh, Adam Gase is a monster. <laughs> <laughs> and uh john fox like john fox is terrible like john fox had his pluses yeah but like terrible offensive mind so yeah. you know i think there's a lot here to recommend it i you know the one so i think we got into in a really good way like what he could have maybe been we certainly got into what he meant 
and like why he felt good was it and i think we even touched on like he was not bad he won a lot of games he had some good games he had some bad games but he wasn't catastrophic in the way that most guys who don't get that second chance were right the thing is like most guys that are bad are just kind of bad throughout the game and tebow for whatever reason seemed to just cluster all of his badness usually in the first three quarters of a game and then was most of the time an awesome quarterback in the fourth quarter, which is when you really need to do it. Like that's just how the game is structured when it was the winning time. And when it mattered, he was a legitimately good quarterback. It wasn't always pretty, but you know, it's there's plenty of quarterbacks who put up huge stats and then, you know, blow a bunch of leads. Like there's there's lots of those quarterbacks who can come out strong and then fade as the mental pressure gets better later in the game. And Tebow was kind of the opposite. It just was a pitcher who needed to get his arm like loose for six innings but then was awesome in the final three and if your team could just hang around long enough you had a chance to win all the games and that's life you know you can't it isn't going to be pretty in all four quarters you know tim tebow is teaching us a valuable lesson (laughs) about life all right so before we get out of here are there any junk drawer topics you want to touch on things that we didn't get to involving tim tebow i've got a couple first off i just wanted to say I was looking when doing research. One of the things I did was before I went to pro football reference to look up Tebow stats and different things. The, I first went on to ESPN cause it was just like the first link on Google. And right now you cannot find Tim Tebow quarterback stats on ESPN because he is now listed as a tight end. So they don't show up in the standard wow. stats. So it's just like, Oh, it's just like, Oh, he has no stats for those years because it only shows like, receiving and rushing yards just erasing history yeah i am not here for tebow erasures it is uh not right it is another just example of christian culture getting canceled you know i'm cancel culture yeah just cancel yeah i'm i'm very serious with that point i'm super (laughs) serial the other note, since I'm wearing this Tebow jersey, is also, this is not related to anybody else, but I did win, actually, or co-won a costume contest on the website Grantland once because I dressed as Satanic Tim Tebow for Halloween, which was wow. a uh, bunch, I had devil horns and changed the numbers so that it was 666 and... Had a bunch of pentagrams around. I will post. I will post a photo on the uh, everyone is wrong socials of this. But uh, that was that was maybe my best best Halloween costume. I had a good run of a few sports ones. I had Satanic Tim Tebow. I had Wes Welker on Molly at the Kentucky Derby, which was great because another oh, yeah. another. So I did it as like Wes Welker with a bunch of like you know, bracelets and like a binky and just kind of like tripped out. 
but then somebody at the same Halloween party came as Wes Welker actually at the Kentucky Derby, like in like the suit. Wow. And so there were two Wes Welker costumes at that that were totally different, which is great. Wow. Let's see. I'm trying to think of my other sports costumes since we're on the topic. Oh, I had, did Los Angeles Angel Olsons of Anaheim. So it was yes, a, I remember that. It was I a combination uh, Angel Olsen and Angels thing. And then I also had a Indiana Jones squared, which was me dressing as Indiana Jones, but also wearing a Fred Jones Indiana Pacers jersey, which on the front says Indiana and go. on the back says Jones. So that that's kind of my wheelhouse when Halloween was still a thing pre-pandemic. Back in the day. I had one uh, graveyard parking lot item. Yep. And it is that we all know Tim Tebow's Florida teammates. Not great. The no. aforementioned Aaron Hernandez, the Pouncey brothers. I Googled Chris Leak. That's a real bummer. If you wanna, if you wanna really bum yourself out, Google Chris Leak. See what he's been up to. Yeah, and I mean, we should also say that uh, Tib Tebow, just in general, like, is not always the best person in the kind of way that sometimes ultra Christian people are not always the best people. So we're not we're not defending uh, his politics. In yeah, his no, no, anti-abortion stance, commercials that he does, and all those weird things. We are just and talking he, about the football the, player the, here. Yeah, yeah, yes, that should be. Yes, weird guy, really weird guy. <laughs> it's a weird guy that I still hold a slightly soft spot for, just because of all the joy he brought me in one glorious year. All right, so I think that covers everything. Before we get out of here, Spike, is there anything you would like to plug on your way out? Yeah, sure. I'll plug the work of No Olympics LA. I'll plug uh, Jules Boykoff's book, No Olympians. We, I, I've, I've worked with this organization. I've uh, done some research and organizing with them. The Olympics are happening in Tokyo right now. I actually went over to Tokyo in 2019. Uh, the Olympics uh, are bad for host cities. Uh, everyone is wrong if they say they're good, but I don't think everybody says they're good. I think I think the public is coming around. The on, tide on is, the seems to be turning. Olympics. Yeah, when yeah. like whatever eighty percent of the Japanese public polled like does not want them or something like that to be happening, and it's legally impossible for a host country to cancel the games without the permission of the IOC. That's great. That's a good situation. Yeah. So. Since this is a sports episode, that is Spike's plea. Uh, Go check out ways in which the Olympics are bad. He listed a few. You can find a lot on the internet if you just probably Google Olympics is bad (laughs) in addition. Yeah. It's it's not. It's we we hold no ill will towards the athletes. It's what they have to do. That's their big thing. But no, although there was a great defector comment about like. There's a pandemic on. I don't care about the athletes and their Wes Anderson twee sports that no one gets a shit about. And I was like, ah, that's a funny <laughs> archery shooting. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. That said, uh, I, I the only event I'm watching this year is pole vaulting. I, I want to see Mondo. Uh, there's a guy, there's a kid from Louisiana. He's 21. He jumps for Sweden. He rules. He's the LeBron James of pole vaulting. 
Yeah, I was watching some Katie Ledecky earlier today, and it's just like I can watch Katie Ledecky swim circles around everybody all the time. And I hold, I don't like the Olympics, and they shouldn't be happening, and at least definitely not in any form sort of resembling this. But I will still watch some and enjoy the athletes because this is their thing, and it's not their fault that their organization is horrible it's like being mad at like ncaa football players because they don't they play in an organization which they don't get paid it's like maybe not the maybe not the people to be mad at is the actual athletes all right awesome well thank you again for coming on it's uh a little a little more grounded than uh, jupiter ascending but uh, a little a little less defensible but you know hey yeah and but probably about equally yeah. as absurd that it actually happened. So thanks again for coming on, Spike. And remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. <laughs>